0: It's going to be a bit of a different message this morning. There's a, a family chat piece to this where um, it'll be a, a bit of an introduction to the sermon, though it does fit in with the sermon, but so there'll be a, a bit of a family chat and then and then a bit of a shorter sermon at the end of the family chat here. But um, as, as we're thinking through what it looks like to enter into a new fall season, right? Like summer, this is it. Summer's done and there's a big groan, right? And we we hit into the fall. And, and here's the thing. I know we kind of have January 1st as that's the new year, but I don't know, maybe because I have kids, I sort of feel like the fall is a start of a new season. Maybe you do as well, right? And with church, for sure, that's it, that when church uh, hits the fall, we have this feeling of a reset. Uh, we're, we're entering into a new season, and there's, there's something about it that feels like a start of a new year. I mean, here's the thing, when you, when you do that whole new year thing, you also take some time to look at where we've been, where we are as a church, and I think, man, we've come a long way as a church from a, a small group of people meeting and praying desperately, God, we want you to do something in our community. Would you would you raise up a church that you could use to reach the lost and and, and to care for the broken? And and God answered that prayer. And we launched out in the a little school at VK Greer, the gymnasium there. And very quickly, in, in just about two years, that thing grew to where we were having two services. And then eventually, it it filled up right to the back of the gymnasium wall. And, and it was at the same time, we're like, man, what do we do with this? And, and at that same time, the school's like, hey, we're doing rentals. You guys got to leave for the summer. We're like, well, we kind of don't fit anymore anyway. And, and that's when we made the, the hard decision, but good decision. We, we need to find a new place. And we, we saw, well, the, the high school in Bracebridge, we're going to have to move there. And I say it was a, a hard decision because, I mean, especially here, I just did the same family chat in Bracebridge. Like, that was an awesome decision. But for y'all, right, you're like, what? We're, we're moving to Bracebridge? And, and we knew that was a good thing to do, but you could, you could feel the tension of what, what do you mean? And, and so what do we do? We, we, I remember talking about this in VK Greer saying, hey, you know what? There's a lot of lost people in Bracebridge. So instead of sending people, we're all going to go together. And so we went down to Bracebridge and we saw God again do something there where he began to, to grow that. And we, we were filling up that space into two services. And, and I think about what God is doing. And, and here's the truth. There really isn't any great reason for the growth of our church. There's nothing we have that's that great. We don't have great communication. We, don't, we didn't have the greatest stuff. We don't have, have all the, the greatest programs, but, but there was something that was very simple. As God was growing us, we believe firmly in the power of prayer. We, we lifted high the name of Jesus in worship. We, we, we open up God's word and say, we want to take this at face value. We want to say, God, this is what you're saying. And so we would preach it with, with conviction and, and we want to follow what God calls us to. And then we would reach out to our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors with the good news of the gospel. We'd get together in small groups and, and care for each other and dig deeper into the word together and, and God just kept growing us. God allowed us to plant a, a location in Perry Sound and pray for them as that continues to grow there and as funds keep coming in and, and the work's being done in the building downtown in Perry Sound as we're hoping to get them moved in soon there and All these moves of God. And and here we are again with a summer of another move, right? Where where we sent half of our church back into Huntsville. And here you guys are. And and it it was it it was cool to see what God's doing here. Amazing to see God allow us to reach more people. We've we've reached more people this summer than we ever have before with, with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's been a sacrifice again. Um it's meant a financial sacrifice. It's meant. It's cost us in our in our time, in our energy. When you send away half your church, there's a loss that's felt. And I know I know you guys are on the the sending side, so you're coming here. And but there's this this weird loss, and it's not like we we've been sent to Papua New Guinea. We've gone just a town over, and yet there's this man relationships we used to have that were so close, and and there's just some there's, it's different now. There's a cost to it. This morning we we have a. a Something we're working on right now, we've come to an, a, a decision on, and it's, it's, it's not so much a cost. I'm not going to say it's that strong of a word, but it's going to be a stretching for us again. But we, we believe it's the, the best chance for the best outcome for the mission God's called us to. As you remember, a few weeks ago... Um, I think it would have been Pete who was up here laying out an announcement about team teaching, how we're going to have this team teach approach. We're going to share the load of preaching between uh, 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 different pastors over our three locations. And then here's the thing. The idea for the team teaching came, actually it came in the spring. It came before um, Pastor Matt ended up in the hospital. And We were kind of looking at how do we do this well, where the load can be shared well with three locations that can free me up a bit more to provide leadership for three spots and And then as Matt went to the hospital in the beginning of the summer, the executive support team, that's that group of people that help us kind of, what does it look like to to actually execute the plans that we have as a church? And they were sure we'd keep moving on that same team teach plan. So that's what was announced a few weeks ago. Um, And the elders have been praying a lot over this past season we've been through. And it's been a tough season. And, and, and again, maybe here, as you see the excitement of what God's doing here, you don't feel the toughness, the heaviness of it, but, but we've been through a really hard building campaign, for sure. Um, pastor Matt, getting sick, man, how hard is that on him, his family, on us as, as, as a church, that, that he's a pastor with us, and launching this location was not easy, and, and I'll get real personal here, and all of this that's been going on, man, I, I was burning out. Um, I wasn't in a healthy place. I'm so thankful for the leadership of our church, for our elders, our staff, our executive support team, and, and they held tightly to the wheel as this ship was going through some stormy waters. And, and, and for sure, for sure, we, we, we took some damage to the ship maybe, but, but they brought us through that. And, and, and by God's grace, so thankful they gave me a time of rest this summer. Um, it's good to be back, but it was good to have that rest. I'm so thankful for the leadership God's put in our church, the, the men and women who, who come alongside and go, hey, we want to provide help as we, as we accomplish the mission God's given us. And so I, I was praying over a time. My family, we went out east for a couple weeks, and, and while we were there, just praying about, about our church, about the mission God's called us to, and um, seeing that our church was getting more complicated. And not, not just because we add another location. That, that for sure adds some complications. You're splitting ministries up now and, and trying to do things with staff and leaders and all that. But but what I started to see that what, what was simple and clear as God was growing our church in the past, what was so so simple was, was we were a church that just was so fired up about the word of God, about worship, about community, what it means to get into a small group and grow together in a small group, to, to be on mission together and And started just praying and seeing that maybe those simple things are starting to get crowded out and missed as things get more complicated. And so as an effort to to begin to focus and simplify, we made a decision as elders just this past week to go back to our original plan of me preaching in both Muskoka, uh, both uh, Bracebridge and Huntsville, and driving in between services. Um, it's a way to focus our staffing. It's a way to focus um, us as a church. And I get it. Not not a great long term forever plan to be doing that, to be whipping up and down Highway 11. But for right now, in order to gain focus for the mission, to simplify simplify what we do, we believe it's the best best opportunity for the best outcome for what God has for us. Now, here's the thing. I, I get it. Nobody likes when things are changing all the time. So we make it announcement a few weeks ago, and now here we are. We're, we're doing another change. Like you're in this car, like. Just to, <coughs> no more sound effects, I can't. <coughs> um, all these turns, and, I just, and we talked about that as elders. We prayed to them, man, what's this like as a, as a church where we're, we're seeing what's needed to be done? We've got to make that hard second decision, and, and you start to wonder, man, what will people think about the leadership of our church? What's this like to be a part of a church where we're making this adjustment, and yet knew we needed to make the hard second decision and, and knew that we needed to adjust, and so what does that mean for us Here in Huntsville, we had to adjust the service times because the team teachers, hey, everybody meets at 10 o'clock, all three locations. We can't do that. And so what we're doing is um, we looked at the benefit of of times for both locations and what's the hard and what's the best place to be. And in Bracers, we interviewed them mostly because they're a set-up teardown right? The Reen case did not work out because they needed too many Sundays for that to be a, a good option for us to worship. So we're still in the cafeteria in Bracebridge, set up, tear down, set up, tear down. And so we talking to a lot of Bracebridge people. I mean, there was a, a bit of back and forth, but most people say, you know what? Rolling in at 6 o'clock in the morning to set up church sounds okay now, but February comes, right? And nobody wants to roll in at minus 30 when it's pitch black out to set up church. And so here's how it's going to land. And it's going to land this way. It'll be a, a 9 a.m. service here and a 10.30 a.m. service in Bracebridge. What we did find out is nobody likes 11. Everyone's like, no, nah, too late. We want to go a little bit earlier. So, so we're going we're to work on how we do our services for me to be able to make that happen without getting speeding tickets. Um, we, can, we can make that happen. We've, we've seen over the summer, it's been a testing phase for us, how that looks. And so here's the thing. Change is hard. Maybe even times of service is hard. I don't know. There might be people in here going, yes, we get nine. There's other people going, ah, oh, dang, I was hoping for 1030, right? And, and, and here's the thing. There are some people where this impacts, the time actually impacts them in a way where like, this is really hard, not just a preference. And I'll be really blunt. I don't really care about our preferences, right? And I have no skin in the game. I don't care what time I preach. Like, just get me there, stand me up, preach me. at like, Let me preach at a place and that's, that's all right. We, we're trying to find out what's the best way for us to have the best outcome. And so that's why we landed at those times. Um, now here's my hope as we move into the fall season. My hope is this, that, that now that that's settled and we're, and we're moving forward, that we can fix our eyes on the mission. So, so for leadership, what's that mean? It means we want to simplify. Simplify what we do. Simplify so communication is more clear. Simplify so the mission is more focused. Simplify so that we can care for each other better, grow to know Jesus deeper, reach our neighbors more effectively so that the world will hear the gospel. Because I believe this. I believe that God is on the move in our church. Reaching more people. And I'm praying for more. I'm praying, God, would you stretch us more? Would you use us more? Would you, would you, would you cause us to have, have uh, just more opportunities to give our time, give our energy, give our resources? Why? To reach our families with the gospel, to, reach, to care for each other as a church, to reach out to our neighbors and beyond, to the ends of the earth for God's glory. That's our hope. That's our mission. So, so let, me, let me pray. We're going to then dig into the book of Acts together. Let me pray for us first before we dig in. We see what's this look like for this mission to be lived out. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I, God, I thank you for this group of people here, Lord. This group of people that you've brought together, that you've grown from just a small number of people praying for what you could do. And God, this, as I look out, is an answer to that prayer. And so God, we are thankful for what you're building. But God, we also recognize who we are. That if if you gave us what we actually deserve, we'd be lost for eternity. But by your grace, you've redeemed us through the life and the death and the resurrection of your son Jesus. And so we pray with a desperation. We pray with a deep faith. God, would you continue to do a work in us and through us for our good, for the sake of our communities, most of all for your glory. God, we're thankful that we can know you. We can, we can know your presence. We, we can know that, that because of Jesus, we can be in your presence forever. And so, God, we just pray that we would know you more, that you would send us out as, as, as missionaries here. God, that we'd be your hands, your feet, your voice to our communities so that more could know. And God, that you'd increase our church. Not, not increase it just because we want bigger numbers, but for what those numbers represent, God, that lives could be changed for eternity. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one is gonna be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have people coming up the aisle right now who have Bibles in their hands. If you throw your hand up, if you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, grab one of these. Go to Acts chapter one. in in that Bible that's been given to you, your phone, your own Bible, however you wanna get there, Acts chapter one. If you're looking for that, it's in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you still can't find it, bust out the table of contents, get there. If a person beside you looks at you as you are going to the table of contents and they judge you, just raise your hand, point at them, all right? We'll get them out of here. We'll take them right out. Okay, we won't do that. Acts chapter 1. Here's the, here's the thing. We are looking to be a church that is used greatly by God. And, and so you start to look at well, what would that actually look like? What, what is it for a church to be used greatly by God? And take it one step back. When you say church, like what are you actually talking about? When you think of the word church, like what comes to your mind? As the church was launching out here in the first century, in the book of Acts, they were essentially a movement. They were a movement that was, that was built around this conviction that Jesus had died as the only savior for sinners, that he had risen from the dead to, to save us, to prove who he said he was. And they rallied around that truth on a mission to get that word out. They were rallied around the truth that Jesus Christ was God, the son, that he was the Lord of all creation, that, that all people everywhere need to call out to him for forgiveness, that they're in, invited by him to come home, to be restored, and, and they gathered together as the church on this mission. Now, now, the word church used in the New Testament, it comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. Every time you see the word church in the New Testament, it says Greek word, ekklesia, which, which means the called out ones or are ones called out together. It's a group that's been called out together. It's people gathered around a mission. Over the years, though, things changed. In fact, pretty soon, we, we now get our word church from a German word, kirch, I think it's said. If there's German people, you can correct me. All right. It's this German word kirch, and, and that's where we get our English word church from. Here's what that word means. That German word means this, a sacred place, where you gather for religious purposes. Can can you see the shift? Can can you see the drift that's happened? Just even that that word, a a drift away from the simple idea that the church is a group of people gathered together on mission to now being a place you go to, sit, attend, watch, do some things. It it becomes this institution you go to rather than a a mission that you're on. Here's the thing, every generation has battled with this constantly being wooed by, by our flesh, by the devil for sure, being wooed away from what God's called us to as a church, a group called out together to be on mission, to being this place where I go for my needs to be met. I go for this event that happens rather than what God calls us to be, which is a movement. And now, now, what's the key to a movement? Movements do what? Movements move. I mean, that's the whole point of being a church. So for you and I here at Harvard, are we really a movement? Do we just attend or are we actually on the move as a church? Because you read through the book of Acts and you see these people just sacrificing everything for this mission they've been called to. They're doing life differently. They're giving up their possessions. They're they're actually losing their lives for the mission. Acts 1, they get called out by Jesus for this. By Acts 2, the church is already going. You keep reading it, and now throughout the book of Acts, you see the Christians being scattered throughout the area. So much so they're being scattered around on mission. By Acts 17, verse 6, people say about the church, man, these guys are turning the world upside down. Listen, we have the same Spirit of God in us, empowered by that same Spirit for that exact same mission. I mean, what would happen if everyone here who who is a Christ follower, you've given your life to Christ, everyone here who says, man, Jesus changed me, I'm now part of the family of God, and, and this is my church. What would happen if all of us here said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, Wherever you want me to go, however you want me to live, I'll do it. Here's my life. It's yours. Use me for your mission, Lord. Look here at the book of Acts, verse 6 of chapter 1. It says, so when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So what's going on here? Jesus, he he had died, he had rose again. Now he's gathered his disciples with him. They're up here on this hillside and they're saying, hey, Jesus, what's the plan? You've now accomplished what you've come to accomplish, which is to die for our sin. You've been raised again from the dead. What's the plan now? Verse seven, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Okay, you understand that the left behind series hasn't been made yet, so nobody knows, right? (laughs) It's a joke, it's a joke, right? So Jesus says, guys, it's not for you to know that. But look what he says, verse eight. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, you you guys are going to be my witnesses. Now that, that word there, witness, it's just a legal term. It just means a person who's a witness. It's a person who says, this is what I saw. You don't need a ton of skill to be a witness. You just need to say, this is what I saw happen. You tell people what you saw. You're not, you're not, it's not about what you do. It's about what somebody's already done, and you're telling them about that. And Jesus says, this is how you're my witnesses. You're my witnesses in all the earth. You're my witnesses in your hometown. You're my witnesses to Samaria, people that aren't like you. You're my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine the disciples? That's a big job, Jesus. Tell you what, man, you you lead the way. We're there. You you take the first step and we're following you. Let's do this together. And then then look at verse 9. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they're gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You catch what's going on there? Jesus gives this huge announcement, the biggest job you could ever imagine. He gives us this, this huge assignment and, then, and then, then he leaves. He says, hey, hey, you fishermen and tradespeople and tax collectors, here's the job. Guys who probably haven't even left their hometown very much. So you're going to go to the end of the earth. Really, Jesus, the the whole world, do you know how big the world is? Jesus like, yeah, I made it. I know how big it is, right? I heard it said this way, never has a more important job been given to a less qualified group of people. And yet here we are 2,000 years later, sitting in a room like this, worshiping Jesus. How'd that happen? Let me show you from the text here two things that, that happened for sure. Two things that that were going on, really, really two two keys to for us and in the movement we want God to do here, the, that we want God to do more than we could ever imagine in Huntsville, embracement in to all of Muskoka, in Perry Sound, to the ends of the earth. We want God to turn the world upside down for His glory. What's this look like? Here's our first point: We're part of a movement when our lives are transformed by Jesus. We're part of a movement when our lives are transformed by Jesus. If you're going to be part of a movement that God's called us to, to showing other people, telling other people about a life that can be changed by Jesus, your life needs to be changed, right? We have to be a movement of men and women and students and young people who have themselves been changed by the gospel. So let me ask this. Is your life different? Are you rocked by the gospel? When you think about the grace of God in your life, is there something in your heart, in your soul, in your life that's changed because of that? These are disciples who were transformed by the truth that Jesus, he had died a substitutionary death for them as sinners. That Jesus wasn't just another prophet coming with another religion, another set of things to do, that he came as God himself on a rescue mission to save us. To to recognize that our sin required the cross, that we are so broken, messed up, rebellious, sinful people who would would rather run our own lives than submit our lives to our creator, God. And so what do we do? We murder God the Son. And and here's the crazy thing. In his death, in the death of Christ, that our sin caused, in that death we're set free. Jesus is, is the payment to God for our sins. He's, he, he's the one who paid. Romans says the wages of sin is death. The payment for our sin is death. That's what we deserve. But Jesus, on our behalf, he lives this perfect life that we could never live. And then, as this perfect sacrifice dies in our place to pay that wage, so that, so that we, by faith, when we trust in that payment, when we say, This is my sin, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and you receive this free gift of grace. You're transformed. You, you go from a child of wrath to, to a child of grace. You go from being an enemy of God to being a part of his family. You're, you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his eternal kingdom of light. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, they, they believe Jesus was who he said he was, that he rose from the grave. And listen, listen, you think, yeah, of course they believe it. No, it was hard for them to get their heads wrapped around that idea because of the, the faith they were raised in. I mean, they, they were raised in a religious system that said that the Messiah would come and that he would be a, a powerful political ruler that would set them free from the Roman oppression they're under. Not a suffering servant who would die in weakness on a cross and be raised again. But they believe. Why they believe? Because they saw with their own eyes. And say, man, if this is true, if God, the Creator, if if Jesus Christ would die for rebellious children, I mean this this grace is amazing. And it changed everything for them. I mean, for them, they're like, if this is true, this message needs to go out. If if Jesus Christ is the only hope for salvation, we need to get that out to the world. They're not called as, well, well, there may be multiple ways to God. No, when you see the cross, why would God send Jesus to the cross if there are other ways for people to be saved? I mean, how cruel would God have to be? When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's calling out, saying, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup of judgment pass from me if there's any other way to rescue. Imagine God saying, Well, yeah, there are a lot of other ways. There are many paths. If people are just sincere, and good people, but tell you what, we're still gonna go through with you taking the crushing weight of sin on your shoulders. It doesn't make sense. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And don't we get that though? Maybe you've experienced it where where you try harder and harder to be perfect. People try so hard to get themselves right and we always end up more broken and messed up and then God steps into that mess, into that sin and brokenness and says, I'll do what you could never do. You you can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You you, you can't be perfect and holy on your own. So, So Jesus says, I'll do it for you and I'll take your punishment and I'll save you with his gift of grace, and you'll glorify me forever. Now, here are the disciples, and and seeing that Jesus gave his life for them, seeing that, what does that do to them? They, They look around and go, nothing else on this earth holds any value compared to Jesus. Everything else can be laid aside. He's worth giving away my whole life. Everything else around me is temporary. Temporary but lives changed by God, that's forever. I mean, the, the grace they saw was this, that, the, that Jesus they, they were with for three years, that Jesus who stared down hurricanes, that, that Jesus who, who spoke to, to powerful demons and told them to shut up, that, that Jesus who healed the sick and raised the dead on the cross gave up all that power, all that position for them, for you for me, to, to give his life as a sacrifice for our sin. And what's that do for them? And when they get to Acts chapter 4, and, and they're dragged into court because they're talking about this grace, this, this goodness of Jesus Christ, and, and the, the officials there said, hey, if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. And Peter and John say, like, well, you know what? Do what you got to do. But we can't stop talking about Jesus. Because when you've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are changed and transformed. I was talking to Pastor Omar a while ago about. asking him if he misses Canada. If you don't know who Pastor Omar is, he's he's the uh, one of our guys that we've planted a church in Mexico City with him, and 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 he came to Canada, immigrated to Canada as a refugee. It was the only way he could get out of Mexico and, and found a way to come as a refugee to Canada. Comes to Canada, escaping that, doesn't know Jesus when he when he comes to Canada, but guess Canada, and a, and a group of Christians in Toronto meet him. He can't speak a word of English. They go, hey, let's help you. They introduce him to Christ. He gets saved, transformed by the gospel. And what happens? He begins to stir, God begins to stir in his heart the a call. A mission to go back to Mexico. You know think about how, how nuts it is. He he made it out, man. He he got to Canada, the, this land of opportunity where, where things work, where you can you can get ahead. He had escaped the life before of poverty, and, and now God's calling him back. And why would he do that? He, here's what he said: he says, When well, you know what Jesus has done for you, there's nothing you hold back. You spend your life for him. He says, there's nowhere I wouldn't go, nothing I wouldn't endure for him. Listen, when you taste the goodness of God's grace, you spend your life for God's glory. When you taste God's grace, you spend your life for God's glory. So here's my question for you. Have you been changed by God's grace? I mean, has it captured you to the point where you, you just can't stop talking about it and you're, you're willing to go anywhere with it, give up anything for it? And if you're not in that place, listen, this, this may sound harsh, but, but if you're not in that place, you're not actually part of the movement that Jesus called you to. Here's my hope this year as we start off in the fall. I don't have a hope to, to motivate us to a mission, but I want to continue to point us to a holy, awesome God who looked on us in our sin and rebellion and said, I love you, and his grace saved us. Because when we we have our eyes fixed on that, we're captured by the grace of Jesus. We don't need to be motivated. We don't need a mission Sunday to get us fired up. I, mean, I can't imagine Peter and John saying, man, we better get at some sort of a, a mission event together because maybe James isn't so fired up with the gospel as James is losing his life for the gospel, right? Why would they do that? Because they knew the grace that was poured out on them at the, at the, at the cross and I don't say this to condemn, but I do say this to plead with us as a church. I don't think you can really say you've been changed by the grace of God and then spend your life sitting on the sidelines. If you're radically changed by the gospel, you can't help but be on mission. If you've really tasted grace, I would say this, if you're holding back, you you might not actually believe the gospel. Or maybe your heart has grown so cold, so apathetic. I mean, how can we really believe what we say we believe about Jesus and not be telling people about it, not be giving our lives for that mission to go forward? And I believe this. It's not a motivation problem. It's a belief problem. It's a vision problem. It's not seeing clearly who God is, who we are, and His grace that saved us. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He was a, a, a pastor in the in in a, the revivals in the seventeen hundreds. He said this. He said, "Our external delights, our earthly pleasures, our ambition, our reputation, our human relationships—for all these things, our desires are eager, our appetite strong, our love warm and affectionate. We're deeply impressed." easily moved, much concerned, greatly engaged. We're depressed at our losses and excited and joyful about our successes or prosperity. He says this, but when it comes to spiritual matters, how dull we feel. He says we can sit and hear of the infinite height and length and breadth and love of God and yet sit there cold and unmoved. If we're going to be excited about anything, shouldn't it be our spiritual lives? Is there anything more inspiring, more exciting, more lovable and desirable in heaven or on earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ? He said we should be utterly humbled that we're not more emotionally affected than we are in church. Let's spend our time as a church digging into God's word. Let's see who he is holy and awesome, who we are saved and redeemed, enemies made family. Let's be in awe of that grace. Let's see how, how that changes our view of the here and now how that changes how we view people in our community, how that changes how we view people's opinions of us, our priorities. I mean, the apostles were transformed by this gospel of Jesus Christ. My question is, have you been? We're part of a movement when our lives have been changed by Jesus. Here's our second and last point. We're part of a movement when our lives are submitted to the Spirit. We're part of a movement when our lives are submitted to the Spirit. Here's the thing about the mission we're called to as a church. This mission is too hard. It's it's too dangerous. It's too costly. But but Jesus gives this mission to these unqualified people in the beginning, a group of unqualified people, though, who were submitted to the Spirit of God. Go back to verse 1 of Acts chapter 1. It says this in, this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things Jesus began to do and teach. So this is Luke. Luke writes the, the gospel according to Luke, and then Luke writes the Acts of the Apostles. So this is the second of his two books he's writing. And, and he's saying here to the person that he's writing it for, Theophilus, he says, in the first book, the gospel of Luke, he goes, I, I dealt with the things that Jesus began to do. Now, began, it, it implies there's a, a continuation, right? It's not that, well, here's the Gospel of Luke. This is where Jesus did his work. And now here's Acts of the Apostles. Here's the book of Acts. This is where the church does its work. No, no, no. Luke's saying, no, no. no. It it began here where Jesus in his earthly body did did what he did. And, and, And now in the book of Acts, now in our time right now, Jesus, through his body, the church, continues to be at work. I would say it this way. I, don't, I, don't, I would, don't think we say we're on mission for Jesus. We're actually on mission with Jesus. It's for his glory for sure, but we're, we're doing it with him. It's his mission through us. I love that. It says in verse 8, Jesus says, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's saying, wait for that. Wait for that power to come. Now, I don't know if they were like type A personalities and the disciples and maybe you're that way and, and you just hear this huge mission where Jesus, hey, hey, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna go with this, this gospel, this transformation uh, that people can have. You're gonna take to the ends of the earth and he says, now wait for the Holy Spirit. If you're type A, you're like, what? Man, I've already written down nine things while you were talking that we need to get accomplished. I got, I got, it, I got it itemized out. It's alphabetized. Man, I, I got the books we need to write. I got the conferences we need to have. I got the things we need to say. Like, I, let's d- get on this. It's like, no, you're going to wait until the Spirit comes. Because I'm going to do this through you. I'm going to empower you. And then you read through the book of Acts, and the rest of the book of Acts is simply just the church following the lead of the Spirit. You just read, you you see this, and the Spirit led them here, and the church went here, and the church moved out from here. And and then here's what happens. You read the book of Acts. this, This group of people just submitted to the Spirit. The book of Acts ends, and it just ends on this, like, cliffhanger. If, if the book of Acts were a movie, you get to the end, the credits would roll, you'd be like, that's it? Okay, obviously there's a sequel coming. For sure there's got to be a sequel because you can't just stop there. There's so many things left undone, left unsaid. It didn't, it didn't get wrapped up nicely in a bow, and why is that? That's because the book of Acts is just the beginning of the mission. The Spirit of God is moving here, this morning, in, in, in your heart, in my heart, as the mission continues. So if you've given your life to Jesus, you can read verse 8 as this promise given directly to you. In fact, let's do it this way. See verse 8. Whenever it says you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your name in that place. Here's what I'm, going to, I'm going to read it out and you're going to say your name out loud when I get to the you, all right? A little participation time, okay? All right? So I, I'm going to start with verse 8, but at you, and we'll, I'll pause at you, and then you just say your name out loud. We'll all have our names say it out loud, but you just say your name out loud whenever I come to you, all right? So here we go, verse 8. But we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This it's through you, the Spirit empowering you. Now, what's the Spirit do? Is the Spirit fills you. The Spirit does this. The Spirit gives each one who knows Christ at least one spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is, a, is an ability that you have that, that in your flesh would not produce the same results, except that the Spirit of God is, is at work in that thing that you're doing, the, the thing that you do for the church on mission. We're gonna talk this fall, we're gonna this year, we're gonna have a sermon series on the spiritual gifts. Because here's what I want: I want us to know. If you would sit here and go, I don't actually know what my spiritual gift is, you wouldn't be using it to its full effectiveness, right? And so I want us to know what are the spiritual gifts that God's given to you for the mission of the church. And that's the key. The spiritual gift is never given for the gift to get all the attention. The purpose of it is the mission of the church. And so I want us to dig in on what does that look like? But you've been given a gift by the spirit of God to be used in his power. Here's the other thing that happens when the spirit empowers us. It empowers us to proclaim. You you see this throughout Acts. Go to chapter 2, verse 4. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and what? Began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Go to chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, what did he do? Said to them, and Peter preaches a sermon filled with the Holy Spirit. Go down to verse 31 of chapter four. What's it say? And when they would prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what? Continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Go to chapter nine, verse 20. The apostle Paul saved, has the spirit now. And what's it say in verse 20, chapter nine? And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. You see this over and over again. So let me ask you this. Does that describe you? Where you regularly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? Where you regularly talk about God's word to bring people to Jesus? Because here's what I believe. If the spirit is filling you up, the spirit spills out. Do you see that happening in your life? Here's what we can say. We say, hmm, that's a tough one, Pastor Kai, to actually go out and proclaim and and like to witness to people and talk to them about Jesus. Man, I don't know if I can make that happen. But here's what I believe. If you submit yourself to the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, you actually have what it takes. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. He says, hey, they're asking, who's the greatest prophet? And Jesus goes, the greatest prophet who ever lived was John the Baptist. That's Jesus' opinion. He was the greatest. Then he says this. He says this. But the least, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. I mean, think about that. Think about who the least talented or capable person in this room would be, right? It's got to be somebody, right? You do the math. You're going to figure out someone in here would be the least capable, the least able, the least talented, right? Maybe you're like, I think that might be me. Maybe God's going, yeah, it is you, right? Maybe it is. Let's turn to your neighbor and say, you're the least. No, don't do that, right? (laughs) So maybe that's you. You're like, yeah, maybe I am the least. But listen to what it says. Jesus is going, hey, as the least in this room, you are greater, greater than the prophet John the Baptist. because Jesus died and rose again and you're now filled with the Spirit that puts you in a different place. Now filled with the Spirit of God. Don't let Satan convince you you can't step out on mission, that you can't speak. Jesus is, listen, listen, with the Spirit of God in you, even as the least, you're greater than John the Baptist. Called to be a witness. Called to be a witness. Here's what you're doing. You're just sharing. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. Here's what God's doing. Here's what Jesus has done on the cross. And I I get it. It's it's hard to step out on mission that way, isn't it? Because we're living out the gospel and we're speaking out the gospel. And the living part can be tough sometimes. But here's what I love. I love that we're preaching a message of grace. I don't have to be perfect at this. And when I'm not perfect, I get to preach grace all the more. This is what Jesus has done. He's done it for me. On my behalf. He was the perfect one. We live it out. But here's the tough part. We also speak. Now I used to be caught up in this. I used to be caught up in the, you know what? People will see Jesus and how I live. It's probably better. I don't talk and they just see Jesus in my life. And and yeah, there, there's there is good to that, but but here's what I would say: the next time you know you go home and you flip on Netflix to watch your favorite movie, watch it without the sound. You're gonna lose a lot, right? If we're not actually speaking the word, saying, this is why I live this way. I'm not just a good person. In fact, if you knew me, you'd know I'm not a good person at all, but Jesus was good. I don't want to add more to your life by saying you need to to be a witness in our community. As you heard as we started this, I I want our church to be crazy simple. So here's what I want for us as a church. Here's, Here's what I would require of us as a church. Let's gather together on Sundays. Let's make this a priority. Gather together for worship, to to be in the word together, to be encouraging for each other together. Gather here. And then a night a week, let's give a night a week to a small group. We get it together with other people to dig into the word together and do life on mission together. Here's here's what I'm saying. As a church, we don't want to build a church with a billion programs. I'd say this way. I have zero desire to start a harvest soccer ministry. I don't, I don't. Our town does soccer way better than we ever could. So why don't I want to round up all our kids? Go, no, play soccer with us. I would say, how about this instead for a ministry? Go play soccer. Let your kid join the sports team. You go with them and you start to get to know the families that your kid's playing soccer with to bring the gospel out to the soccer field. That's a way better ministry. I heard it said this way, we can be really busy people. Here's the key though, be busy with people. Just just do life with people. And I I don't want to have a church where I give you more and more reasons for us to gather here together. I love you. I love hanging out with you. But there's something about me. I think we're called to go. (coughs) I don't want to overschedule our church so much that you're never out on mission. Now, in saying all that, I get it. Talking about Jesus is not easy. (coughs) You have to step outside of your comfort zone. Here's the cool part. The person you're talking to is really uncomfortable too, so it's great, right? You're both uncomfortable in this conversation. I get it. It is awkward. It's hard. And I got a huge advantage over you because they, people can say, hey, what do you do for a job? Oh, I'm a pastor. Now they expect me to talk about Jesus, right? But it, it's, still, it's still awkward. It's still hard to do that. But here's, here's what I've been thinking. I've been reading lately a lot, and as a family, we've been listening to, to audiobooks a lot about, um, about people who gave their lives for the cause of the gospel. Men and women who gave everything for the gospel. And here's what I don't want to have happen. I don't want to get to heaven and have that awkward conversation with someone who's lost their whole family and given their life for the cause of the gospel. And me saying, yeah, in Muskoka, it was pretty awkward to talk about Jesus, right? Listen, it's worth risking our reputation for people to be saved for eternity. And Jesus promises us here that the Spirit of God is working in you as you go, that the Spirit of God is drawing the hearts of those you're talking to. Really, for for the most part, I don't think it's about difficulty. I don't think it's a a training problem. I I think it's a belief problem. Do I believe that Jesus saved me? Do Do I believe that he's worthy of my whole life? Do I really see the gospel clearly? Because Charles Spurgeon, an old pastor, said this. He said, if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it into your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your spouse. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you'll be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak. Your eyes will flash as you talk about his sweet love. When you meet grace, your life is transformed. You're filled with the Spirit. You move out on mission. So quickly, what's that look like for us here at Harvest? What's that mean for us as a church here? I mean, our mission is this. We, we want to see the lost saved. We hope to grow. We, we did this whole sending our half our church into Huntsville because we want to see more people hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So, so if you're part of like the, the harvest thing and you've come here and like, oh good, I'm so glad we split up because now we're back to a small church and I love this. That's not our goal, just so you know. We want to see this thing grow. We want to see more people hearing about Jesus. And then, then we want the saved to be matured and multiplied. We, we want to focus our energy into our small groups so that we care for each other. We, we grow together in the word, not just getting together for coffee and hanging out, but actually in the word, digging together as couples, as families, as ladies, as men, as youth. Let's get into the word. And, and then as, as the saved are, are matured and multiplied, we're sent out on mission. I would say this, this room is filled with the actual pastors of the church. The ministers of the church is in this room right here. The ones being sent out. I say this all the time. It's not about us hiding out and huddling up in here and just waiting for Jesus to come back. That's not the church. We're called to go out. And so our small groups will continue to multiply. Yeah, it's uncomfortable when that happens, when you, when you just get to know people and spend two years together, and like, man, we got to multiply this small group. Our, our goal for small groups is not for us to find our, our, our best friends we're going to huddle together with for the next 50 years. Our goal is mission. Being changed by Jesus and, and sent out, it's, it's why we did this Huntsville plant. It would have been way easier not to do this, you know to just stay embraced, just keep doing the thing we were doing, the, the money that's been spent, the the, the ministries that, that need to be worked out, the, the friendships that are now missed as we've done this. It would have been comfortable to keep doing our own thing, but the mission is that we move and we go. Don't fall out of your chair, but I, I can't wait to the next plant. Do we find out where God wants us to go again? Okay, don't worry. It'll be a little bit of time before we do it. We're not doing that next week, right? <laughs> It's never comfortable, but it's always worth it. It's worth it to go out on mission. It's worth it for our small groups to, to be thinking outside, go, man, what can we do as a group to reach our neighbors? It's always worth it to reach out. So, so what am I calling us to do as a church? Here's a few things I'm calling us to do as we join this movement. Would you Pray. Pray. Pray for the power of God in your own life, in your family's life. Pray for the power of God to move us out of here. Pray for your heart to be changed by the gospel if you find it cold and apathetic. Pray for the lost, the hurting, the broken. There's nothing you can do. Pray, give. Give to what God's doing. This is not a sermon about giving, but, but listen, for us to be on mission together, it does cost. We know that it, it takes funds, and so, so we're trusting that God will continue to provide through what we give, and, and then he'll use that to continue to change hearts and lives as we trust him with our stuff. Pray, give, serve. We need you to serve. We, we, need, we need people to serve. in our Harvest Kids, it continues to grow. I mean, we're outgrowing the space of it, I think, already, right? That's good, though. That's a, a healthy church, okay? Really healthy church. That's a, a healthy church that we could do that. But we need people to serve. There's areas that, that when you go online to, to myharvest.ca slash serve, you'll see the different areas where you can jump on board and say, man, I want to get into this. I want to serve because there are no spectators in a movement. You're not coming to watch the game. You're going to the change room, putting on your uniform. That's what this is. Here's the last thing I would say. I would say join a small group. Get into a small group. And, and maybe you're saying, yeah, but you know what? My small group, you know, the last couple of years just wasn't that great. Listen, we're, we're refocusing our efforts to, to put a, a focus on, on discipleship and care and the mission of our small groups. Let me, let me say this. If you had a tough small group experience, let me ask you this. Could you give us another chance? And if it still isn't good after this year, like, man, it still didn't go well for me, then you go start a small group, all right? And let us follow you, because you know, maybe you've got some things we're just not doing, all right? But pray how God could use you. How could God use me in this small group? Lastly, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, maybe you're just here checking out church, maybe somebody dragged you out, and you're like, man, this is what I always hate about church. You guys are always planning and trying to figure out how to convert me. Totally, that is our mission. That's it. <laughs> Nailed it, all right? Listen, we, we want to spend our lives for you to know the transforming power of a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because we believe that the wages of sin is death and you either pay for that sin in hell or you, you trust in Jesus that he paid for it on the cross. And we believe that God loved you so much that he created you. He loved you before you were born. He's he's then been pursuing you with his love. And and he died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for you to redeem you, to bless you so you could be with him for eternity. How can I say I believe that and not at least tell you about it? Not to cram it down your throat, but say, man, you better check this out. Take the time to see if Jesus is the real deal. That's what we're about. We say this all the time, we're all about Jesus. We're about following him on the mission he's called us to.